afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have yet another exciting episode for you all today. Unfortunately, there's no conventional Summer World Cup this year in the men's game. World Cup fanatics and purists will be forced to wait until November for their fix. However, not to worry, because we have the Women's European Championships to look forward to. With the women's game growing and growing year after year, football lovers can look forward to an action-packed tournament filled with the greatest players women's football has to offer. At Total Football Analysis, and our goal to add to the development of the women's side of the game, we have put together a fabulous magazine preview on the tournament with artwork from the incredibly talented Jamie Breckpool. This magazine is 180 pages of pure, unmatched analysis filled with in-depth analysis of each team heading into the tournament, while also looking at five key players we've handpicked that could make the most impact. Want to become an expert in women's international football before the tournament begins? You can for just £1.99 or free with your monthly membership. Joining me here today to preview the Women's Euros are two incredible TFA analysts and writers, without which the magazine definitely would not have been possible. First up, we have David Astill. David, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Artem. Great, and we also have Salim Ben-Hamida. Salim, how's your summer so far? Hello, Adam. It's doing. It's going well, thank you. <laughs> I think to start off, I mentioned in the introduction that this magazine definitely would have been wouldn't have been possible without you guys, David. I know you did an interview with the BBC and you kind of talked about the importance of it. I want to hear from both of you. Just you know, how important is this type of a you know a, a publication that Total Football Analysis have produced that we've all chipped in to make? But how important is it for the development of the women's game? Yeah, it's huge because, like you said, the women's football is growing day by day. So to be able to contribute in some way to increasing the coverage of it, which is really important to, to getting it out there and putting it in front of more and more people um, is really, really important. So making a big magazine like this and putting something together like we have is going to be really, really important for you know, giving uh, people access to the teams and access to the Euros and helping them to understand. And, and hopefully a bit like with the, the World Cup back in 2019, hopefully audiences grow around the world because of the Euros and certainly that's what's hoped so no putting something together like this is huge and um, obviously hopefully the you know people get interested in it and, and in, uh, integrate with the sport so well I've I've read through all of it and I mean only because we were writing um, articles for to put in the magazine I started to take a real interest in women's football and reading through the entire magazine I've learned so much already it's only half I mean what you pay for a cappuccino pound that's nothing. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal, so in-depth. I think we can all be really proud of the magazine, really. I think it's fantastic. There's nothing out there like it. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll jump right in then, I think, to the previewing the tournament, and we'll start with Group A. And we'll actually begin with the hard-hitting side, many people's favourites to win the tournament, England. Of course, Serena Wegman, who was the, the, the Netherlands manager in 2017 when they won it. She's technically hoping to retain her title. So, Liam, how do you think England are going to fare this tournament? Do you think the hype is, for better words, typical English hype that the media tend to put on the side? Or do you think this is the real deal? This is England's chance to really win it? Yeah, I think England are certainly one of the favourites to win the competition based on the quality of players they have and on the fact that they play at home. But at the same time, they shouldn't underestimate things after their convincing win against the Netherlands. It's true that they were good enough, good enough from an attacking perspective and that they had a lot of variety in their attacks. But that's just a friendly game at the end of the day. 
England will also need to work further on their defensive organization, especially when it comes to defending set pieces, knowing that they conceded the goal from corner kick during that same match. But overall, their defense in open play is good enough at the moment, and the players have got what it takes to mark opponents well and avoid mistakes. But I think the team's challenge during group stages is to overcome Norway's test, and that won't be possible only if they can, if they succeed in stopping Hegerberg and Hansen mainly. But yes, they also have to overcome the the press of the media and all that stuff in order to not make a blow. David, you were quite critical, it's fair to say, of England in terms of their passing out from the back and, you know, sometimes their defensive play wasn't overly superb. Although they did win 5-1, there was a bit of a meltdown in, in Dutch media about the about the Netherlands' performances. But talk to us about kind of what you still feel England need to, to improve on before the tournament begins next week. Well, I think attacking-wise, there's not much they need to work on because what they did in the second half was phenomenal. I think everyone can agree that. But what I noticed in the first half was that um, they were quite even. They weren't necessarily taking their chances uh, when they had them. Um, and defensively, I just thought, like like uh, Salim said, that you know the first goal was entirely avoidable because it came from them trying to play out from the back, then losing their confidence and playing back to the goalkeeper, to, um, goalkeeper Mary Earps. And um from there really you know then then the netherlands pressed put the ball out of play won the corner scored from the corner so it was entirely avoidable if england just had a bit more confidence to just just get rid of the ball and sometimes i think that's what happens in modern football is because teams are so focused on playing out from the back and keeping the ball on the ground um if they're not necessarily not not used to it but if they don't necessarily play on a regular basis that way um for club or country then sometimes they can just lose the nerve at the last minute. And I think that's what happened with that, that first goal. Um, so it's just a case really of, of just tidying up the loose areas, um, which, which are just that defensive, that defensive situation. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of all that I, I thought about England was that attacking-wise, they're brilliant, but in defence, will little moments like that affect them and cost them when it comes to the, to the Euros, particularly against teams like Norway with Hegerberg, with Hansen in there, They'll punish those areas, uh, those mistakes, all day long. So you can't afford those those mistakes. Um, so that that's what I thought really is that in a. Do you think the five one against Netherlands then was a bit of a one off? No, I, I, no, because I've I've seen that from England. I mean, admittedly, they haven't played top teams apart from the Arnold Clark Cup. They've played Latvia. They've played um, teams like Northern Ireland, who they are obviously going to beat, and you would hope they beat. And Latvia, they won twenty nil. So they're, they're attacking-wise, they have got the options and they have got the ability to score goals. It's just those defensive areas just against bigger teams that you just can't afford. And yes, it didn't cost them against the Netherlands because you know they went, went on a 1-5-1. But it could have been a whole different story had that penalty gone in from uh, Sheridan Spitzer. Talk to us about the, the squad then, because there was obviously a huge omission. I mean, Wiegmann left out. Um, Steph Houghton was, was uh, a massive... Was a massive piece of news when it when it came out, and then also Frank Kirby was included in the squad, which many people didn't think she would be because she's obviously struggled with fatigue in the last year. Were you disappointed by the squad? Were you happy? I was quite happy with it. I think the trouble with Horton is, is yes, she's obviously got the experience, and yes, she's a great player, but she hasn't played much in the last year, so she'd be coming to this tournament fairly uh, cold in terms of fitness. 
um, you know, she wouldn't necessarily be able to hit the ground running because she'd have to build up her, her match fitness and everything like that. So I, I actually thought it was probably the right decision, even as harsh as it sounds, given her experience to actually leave her out, because it also means you give opportunities to people like um, uh, Jess Carter, for example, who I don't think would have been in the squad had Horton been in the squad. And I think Jess Carter's had a brilliant season for Chelsea. She's been one of their best players. Um, so actually, I think it's it's a sign of England almost moving on and saying we're not going to stick with the old guard. We are progressing. We are trying to introduce younger players to the squad and giving them chances. So. No, I, th- I think it was probably the right decision to leave Horton, Horton out. I think it was the right decision to bring Kirby in um, because she, yes, she's still building up her match fitness, but there were signs against the Netherlands that, that she can uh, add something. And I think she'll still be a key player for England. One of the teams England have to, to bypass in order to get out of the group stages is Norway. Norway have an incredibly stacked squad. When I actually looked at the predicted start in 11 we put into the magazine, I was really surprised by how much, how much high quality players were in the team um salim you wrote the preview for norway in the magazine talk to us about how you think they're going to fare in the euros i mean i think in the in the qualifiers they scored 34 goals conceded just one which is amazing so speak to us about how you think they're going to fare yeah they they have a really large squad depth and they have the possibility to be the surprising team in this tournament if they believe in their chances and in their abilities. They do have excellent players, as you said, in every section. And perhaps their only weakness is the goalkeeper, uh, goalkeeper role. Over than that, their defensive players are good enough, even though they'll have to work further on their organization, especially after their shaky defensive performance against New Zealand. But in midfield and in attack, the team looks excellent. And with players like Engine, Manam, Ekland, Rayton, Hagerberg, and Hansen. These players will be key to making this Norway side be dangerous against any team, either in this group stage or even further. The recent change in formation and the use of the 4-4-2 has also proved successful lately, and it can help the team play better while keeping their balance. I do think that they are able to reach the quarterfinal finals, either as second or as first of, the, of Group A, but then it will be difficult to reach the semifinals, unfortunately for them. <laughs> if they succeed in, do, in doing it, though, that will be a great achievement for, for them. But they, yes, they have players needed to do it. So arguably the, the third favourite in the group is, is Austria. They qualify for the Euros for the first time in 2017 and they actually reached the semifinals, which is um, really impressive. Uh, David, talk to us a bit about Austria um, and, you know, how you think they'll fare in the Euros. Will they cause Norway and England any problems? Um, in the long run, no, I don't think so. I think I think England and Norway are fairly nailed on to go through as, as the top two in the group. But that's not to say that Austria won't cause problems in matches and, and don't expect, oh, sorry, don't uh, not expect a, a one-all draw here and there, perhaps, or, or maybe a, a win mm-hmm. if they play really well. Because I think they have got some really good players. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at a squad list now. So you've got Karina uh, Veninger, who, who's the defender who's just moved to Roma on loan. Um, she's a really, really highly rated player. There's obviously the captain, Victoria Schneiderbeck, who's just left Arsenal. Um, she's been in and out of, of the, the picture at Arsenal over the last couple of seasons, but um, she's been out on loan to Spurs and, and whatever else. So 
Um, but she's a really good player. She can also play a, a central defence midfielder or centre back. So she's versatile as well. She gives them quite a few options. And obviously, uh, being 31, she's experienced. So she gives them le- uh, leadership as well. Um, uh, Laura Weinreuter as well at Arsenal. Uh, another player, she moved to Arsenal in January. Um, she's another really good player. Uh, 23, so she's she's at a, good, at a good age that she can still develop and, and show what she can do. She's played at right back mainly for Austria. Um, getting forward, but she supports attacks well as well. So she can she's an attacking fullback, but she can play centre back as well if necessary. Um, in the midfield, you've got Sarah Zadrazil. Uh, I pronounced that right. But Bayern Munich. Um, she's another player that's been really key for Bayern Munich. Um, Twenty nine, so not necessarily at the start of her career, coming to the, towards the end of it. Um, but she's the sort of player that Bayern Munich have turned to when they need a little bit of a spark in in some games. She's come on and just given them a slightly more sort of creative attacking midfield presence. So. She could be a key player in games that are perhaps a bit tighter and she can play a key pass or show a vision in, in other, other ways. Um, and Eintracht Frankfurt's Barbara Dunst is another really highly rated player by them as well. So, you know, she's another attacking player who can play as a centre forward, a false nine almost. Um, I think she played against Belgium uh, recently and, and she sort of led the line for them. Missed a few chances, but showed lots of promise there. So, there's definitely a promise there. But I think that the player that you have to really watch out for with Austria uh, is striker Nicole Bieler. Uh, she plays for Hoffenheim. She is their target player, uh, 26. So she's she's at the right age that she's still years ahead of her, but she's got a good amount of experience. Um, she's played 79 times, scored 43 goals. So she is a, a proper goal scorer for them. And certainly at Hoffenheim, she was one of the, the key players in their Champions League group stage uh, matches over the last uh, season. Um, so she's she's the one you have to watch out for. But I mean, across the squad, there are some good players uh, across the pitch as well. So, uh, like I said, I don't expect them to, to cause too many problems. And I still don't think that they'll get past England and Norway in that group. Um, but expect them to have some good performances and, and hope maybe churn out a point or two here and there. Bela really stepped up when um, Nina Burger retired and she was obviously Austria's record goal scorer and they were wondering how they're going to replace her. And of course, Bela has been been really really good for Russia ever since. Salim talk to us about how you know the tactical setup you expect from Iran Foreman's side. Do you expect them to high press against England and sit deeper? Well I think they they will rather go for counterattacks. They sit they will sit deeper and rely on Nicole Billa for counterattacks. And with a player like Zedrazil they can uh, she can provide a lot of key passes towards Bella and and uh, eventually cause much problems to either Norway or England. I think they will play with the same attitude against both teams, but things will be different against Northern Ireland because the level is quite similar between the two teams and they will probably go for attack, not counterattacks. Well, speaking of Northern Ireland, they seem to be spoken about in the in the media almost as cannon fodder for the group do you think that's do you think that's right david i mean it's the first time they've ever qualified for the tournament um in their eight games four qualifying they won four lost two and drew two they beat ukraine home and away do you think it's right though that they probably have little to no chance of even picking up a point or maybe sorry not a point but even troubling england and norway yeah it's a difficult one because obviously they are the minnows in nicest possible sense of the group. They're not expected, in all honesty, to to really trouble too. They have a lot much. of amateur players as well. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah. They do. Um, and I think, by their own admission, 
you know, they'll say that they're not, not really expecting to do too much here. But I think if they can get a point or maybe a couple of points, you know, I think if they can draw with Austria and maybe cause Norway a few problems, a bit like New Zealand did, they'll, they'll watch that performance and say, do you know what, if we play that way, we could cause Norway a few problems. So I think, um, I, I think they'll see it as if they, they can draw against Austria and they can cause Norway a few problems and maybe cause England a slight headache here and there. They'll see that as a, as a success. Um, I don't think they're they're planning or or, or hoping to, or they are hoping to progress. But I don't think they'll they're expecting to progress at all. But they've got some good players, and and um, certainly they're, they're capable of causing a few problems. Well, that wraps up Group A. Moving on to Group B, starting we will start obviously with Denmark. David, this is the team that you covered for the magazine. Um, they reached the final in 2017. Uh, Niels Nielsen was actually the, he's the, the Switzerland manager now he was the manager in 2017 when they reached it they lost 4-2 to the Netherlands speak to us about Denmark you know are they one of the favourites for this group this is a, a really difficult group all things considered given that Germany who are I think eight time winners of the tournament and then Spain obviously who are one of the bookies favourites so do you think Denmark have a chance of going through? I do I think they have got a chance but it will be tight I, I, what I expect to happen is is that they and Germany will fight for second place in that group. That's that's what I'm thinking, because I think Spain will top the group, and I think that's what most people are expecting. Um, but as for Denmark, I mean, they've got some seriously good players. I mean, obviously, Penilla Harder comes to mind immediately. Um, she's, I think, experienced a slight turnaround in fortunes uh, at Chelsea. Her first season, uh, um, 21, sorry, 2021, she struggled a little bit because the formation didn't quite suit how she wanted to play. She was either a winger or a striker. She's not really that type of player. She's more of a a sort of plays in the half spaces and creates problems. And, and obviously when Chelsea changed to their 3-4-3, that really suited her because she's able to play in those half spaces. Hence why I think we saw a huge improvement from her um, last season. Um, so she comes to mind immediately. Um, Denmark as a formation, they tend to play with wing backs. So again, that would suit the, the way that she wants to play. Um, they tend to have um, an experienced back three, which is generally made up of uh, Stina uh, Bal- Balisaga, um, Simone Boy Sorensen at Arsenal and uh, Katrina Vai, who uh, plays for Rosengard in uh, Sweden. That tends to be their fixed back three, although Ricky Sebeck at Everton can drop in every now and again uh, just to try something different. But what they then like to do is they like to play out from the back. So those three centre back positions have to be filled by players who are good at having the ball at their feet and then passing out. Um, it's not just a case of, you know, the ball goes in, clearing it. They like to keep the ball. They like to then move it around the pitch and play out from the back. So that's really key. Um, their fullbacks, sorry, the wingbacks obviously have to be good at getting forward and back as necessary. Um, you've got um, Milan's Sarah Thriga. She's really good at that, as is uh, Real Madrid's Sophie Svava. Um, so they're pretty much nailed on to be the first choices, although Yanni Thompson played really well in their recent match. I can't remember who they were playing uh, over the, the weekend. And she, she really well in that position, defended well, attacked well. So right wing back is not necessarily settled. Left wing back, I think, with Svava, that's fairly settled. Um, central midfield, they like to have a combination. So you like to have a slightly more defensive player and a slightly more attacking player, which is why in the magazine, I think I went for Sophie Young-Pedersen and Millie, Millie Guile as, um, as the combination because Young-Pedersen's slightly more defensive. She likes to sit back a little, just a little bit more. Um, and then play passes forwards uh, into teammates. Whereas Millie Gar is very much an attacking player. She's uh, a BK Hecken. She likes to uh, get forward and support attacks. Um, she's a really highly rated young player. 
and she's a type of player that actually will sneak a goal here and there as well because she gets into the right areas and gets on the end of chances so um so they like to have that combination and then what's interesting is is that it's very much a focus on passing with their style of play so it's very much a focus on pass 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 wait for the right opportunity and then strike so that's why they're not necessarily the highest scorers um that we've ever seen because they don't actually have too many chances but what they do have is players who when the chance does come they can uh, strike so your harders your senior brunes dean lesson has been a revelation after struggling at villa um so i think that's that's you know she she's a really really important player and that combination play in, in front three is going to be really important as well to see exactly who given the nod and how they look to play it so it's a really interesting team actually denmark and um They've got a chance, as, as I said, but it comes down to, I think, that game with Germany, because that, for me, will decide who goes through in second place. But it is a tight group, as you said. And Denmark, if I'm not mistaken, failed to qualify for the 2019 World Cup, so this will be sort of a redemption arc for them. So, Liam, I want to go in-depth now on Spain, because Spain and the, well, the, I think the bookies, many bookies' favourites to win the tournament, um, I would go out on a whim and say a lot of that has to do with the fact that Barcelona have been so dominant over the past year and the fact yeah. that they have Alexia Puteas as well, who's the best footballer on the planet, arguably. Um, firstly, talk to us about Jorge Vila's tactics before we go into whether the, the hype is justified or not. It's it's true that uh, it's related to Barcelona's, Barcelona's dominance over the last few years, but... I think that will not be enough for them to reach the final or win the tournament. But I still think that they can reach the semifinals. They do what, what they need. They have what they need to reach it. They are among the top teams in Europe and in the world at the moment. And they are surely the favorites to finish at the top of Group B, as David said. And they will reach the semifinals, I think. However, I don't think they'll manage to get to the final, mainly because they lack some experience and also because of the heavy absence of Jenny Hermoso, which was, who was injured. And they will most likely have, that will most likely have a negative impact on the team, especially in the advanced stages where the details make uh, change everything but for the moment uh, other than uh, Puteas, i think mapi leon is the player who makes a difference for the team i think she is the most impressive defender at the moment in the world not only in europe and she she makes the defensive aspect of spain more stable but for uh, for attack I think Claudia Pina and Mariona Caldenti, alongside Lucia Garcia or Marta Cardona, will have to step up and make up for the absence of Hermoso if they want to reach the final. They need to be clinical up front. Do you expect him to stay with the 4 3 3? Because I know that's been his, his favorite formation, but also he has used the 3 4 1 2 at times, and Pateas has played as the 10. and um, I think if, notably, I think they played Scotland in that formation. Um, I did the scout report for the magazine on Pateas and I was watching her, and it was it worked. It was, I mean, it, it they didn't play much different apart from the structure. But would you expect them to remain with the four three three? Yeah, I do expect 
expect him to keep the 4-3-3 because he always won with that formation and it's what uh, suits him best. David, Finland are, I mean, they kind of got stung with such a difficult group, didn't they? I mean, having Denmark, Germany and Spain, arguably they're the probably the underdogs of the, of the group, the group of death maybe we can call it. It's our first major tournament since 2013. They haven't reached the knockouts of any tournament since um, 2009. Talk to us about their tactics for the game and, and who you think their key players are going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, they like, they're another team that like to, to play attacking football. They like to get the ball up to the top of the field as quickly as possible. Um, they rely a lot, a lot on having players who are comfortable with the ball at their feet as well. Um, so that, that's essentially an introduction to their tactics. Um, key players, I mean, the goalkeeper for me, I think is going to be really important because they're expecting to have a lot of shots against them. Um, but I think actually if they've got uh, Tinia Rika Korpola as their goalkeeper, I know she's 36, so she's unlikely to be their first choice. But if she is the player that they they opt for, I think she'll be a really good choice because she's shown actually um, that, that she's a fairly solid goalkeeper and she can make a lot of really crucial saves. Um, there was a, a game that she played for, for, um, uh, for, for Spurs this season where she was undoubtedly the best player on the pitch because she helped Spurs to, uh, to, to gain, I think it was a point. Um, but, you know, she's the sort of goalkeeper you can rely on and, and uh, build your defence around. So for me, she's going to be a really important player. Um, defensively, there's, there's a number of notable ones. There's Emma Corvista, who plays at Brighton. She's just been linked today with a move to Liverpool. Um, newly promoted to the WSL, so she's a really highly rated player. She's 27 as well, so she's at the bright side of age. She's got experience, but she still can develop as well. But she's an in, um, uh, established international for Finland, so expect her to be uh, a key player. But I think Nat- uh, Natalia Quika as well at, at Portland Thorns is going to be really, really important because she plays in a, a right-back or a right-wing-back role. She can play centre-back as well. She has done at times. But she's a really important player at, at getting forward. She links up well with teammates as well. And um, not, only, not only at um, country level, but club as well. So it's a really key part of her game. Um, but I think Quika will be really important at, at moving the ball into the box as well because of her crossing ability. So for me, she's going to be really, really important. Um, in the midfield, I mean, you've got several big players. Nora Harumi's to play for Brighton. Um, but I think actually the one player to, to keep an eye on is Evelina Summonen the Spurs midfielder because she's a creative player in that midfield so she's the type of player that can uh, receive the ball and then move it forward she's almost links play up a lot more and brings players together so I'd expect her to expect her to be a big feature of the, of the Finland team and, and sort of key at moving the ball into the forward line as well um, and I think up front you know there's several big ones Linda Salstrom is, is obviously the most experienced player 103 caps 46 goals so she's likely to play a, a role as well um, I, I, you know, there's several really, really good players. Um, Juliet Kempe as well plays for London City Lionesses in in the Championship. Um, there's several really good players, like I said. And what I expect from them is, yes, they are the the team most likely to finish bottom of the group, but a bit like Northern Ireland, expect them to cause problems and expect them to pick up points here and there. And and certainly uh, a win against Denmark is not mm. um, is not beyond them if they play well and Denmark have a shocker. Um, but I certainly pick up a point here and there, and I think you know they'll be happy to finish uh, third. Um, I don't think they're expecting to go through, but you know anything could happen. Salim, Germany, talk to us about Germany. Germany may not be the side they used to be. I mean, they won as as we spoke about earlier. They won 
the record Euros titles. I think eight. They won six on the bounce, if I'm not mistaken, of the last Euros when the Netherlands um, finally cracked their streak. Do you think they're still one of the favourites? Well, they are the favourites to to win the group alongside Spain, I think. But they are not. They will not be the favourites to win the competition. Mm. Uh, most of all, the absence of Melanie Lupos and Marozan will surely be impactful for the team. But they still can overcome the group stage, and I think they can also reach the semifinals as well. They do have an excellent goalkeeper in Berger, Chelsea's goalkeeper. Some good defenders like Hendrik, Hegering, and Roach, as they also have a mixture of players from the German league and mainly from Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, and Hoffenheim. Players like Huth, Pop, and Jules Brandt can be decisive for the team in attack, and these players are capable of putting Spain and Denmark in trouble, and also Finland. Germany can also make sur- surprise and reach advanced stages, especially if they can qualify and get a suitable draw in the quarterfinals. So on to Group C now. And we have the holders of the competition, the Netherlands. David, after the 5-1 defeat, as I touched on earlier, it was, I mean, the, the loss was labelled in the, the Dutch media as quite a disaster. Is it a disaster or is it just one of them things that happen in, in some pre-tournament fixtures? Um, uh, in some ways, I do agree with the media because it's, it's tough because it, it's not a disaster, but it is because it's the Netherlands and they're the holders. Um, I think what they were expecting from the England game was perhaps not to win it, but they were perhaps not expecting to lose that that much by that much, which is probably why I think it, it's a bit of a disaster, even though it's not. They are a developing team. I mean, you know, Serena Weidman's been there for a very long time, so she's built up her model of what she wants. And now Mark Parsons, who I have to say is a very good coach, I do rate him as a coach, but obviously it's going to take time for him to get it, to put in place exactly what he wants. Um, and he's only started doing the role full time. Since the start, uh, since the, the start of the twenty, um, since the start of this season, um, because he, he basically split it, so he was mm. doing, um, you know, splitting time between Portland and the Netherlands at the back end of last year, last calendar year that is, before then obviously leaving Portland at the end of the season, moving on to the Netherlands full time. So he has been juggling it a little bit. It is going to take time. They are still developing, so I don't think it's a disaster. But I don't think they're expecting to lose by that much. That's probably why the media think it is a bit of a disaster. And in that sense, I do agree with them. But they are a developing team. I don't think they're expecting to win the tournament. Um, certainly that's what Mark Parsons has said. They're not expecting to win it. It'd be great if they did. They have obviously got the players to do it. Um, and should they do it, it won't be a massive surprise. But I think because they are still developing under him and still trying to find their identity a little bit, I think you know there are others who are ahead of them in the pecking order. And he did take so, the blame, um, I think, uh, for the last 45 minutes. I was reading his interview, um, the Athletic Club's interview, and kind of a transcript and I was reading it, and he said that, for the last 25 minutes, he's basically going to throw it in the bin because everything was his fault. And I found that quite a fascinating um, admission from a, from a manager of an international side. Salim, the Netherlands have a very strong team, I think it's fair to say, still. Although what happened you know, last week was seems catastrophic. They are still, or, or sorry, I should ask you, are they still one of the favourites? Yeah, they're still one of the favorites to reach the advanced stages, but not to lift mm-hmm. the title, I think. But uh, in my opinion, they need they will need to overcome the psychological impact of that heavy loss in order to approach the tournament in the best possible way. That 
I don't think it will be easy for the players, and even though it's not a, a catastrophe. But at the same time, it should be said that they didn't play with their full weight in that game, as they left starting players like Vivian Midima and Van Donk on the bench and started the match. And during, uh, I believe, the Netherlands do not face problems in qualifying to the quarterfinals. Their midfield and attacking players are very dangerous. Player like Midima can create problems to any team, given her impressive finishing skills and physical strength. And with the support of wingers like Leek Martens and creative midfielders like Gilles Roth and Von de Donk, this Netherlands side promises a lot and can reach the semifinals, if not the final. The only aspect that needs to be addressed urgently, though, is the defensive one, because the team's defense looked unorganized in, the, in that match, and that, that's what worries everyone. What do you expect to see different from a tactical point of view than heading into the tournament? They will need to be more aggressive in defense, and they, need, they will need to fill the gaps in defense. Marking should be much tighter, and they will, be, they will have to be attentive enough against such uh, striker, strikers and attackers. Otherwise, they will concede a lot. Well, that's certainly true for when they come up against Sweden. David, talk to us about Sweden because they, are, they have a very strong squad as well. And I'm, I've been really impressed when I saw some of the names. I think Rolfo from Barcelona, Magdalena Eriksson, Chelsea, obviously the women's super, um, super League winner from this season. Do you think Sweden have a chance at the, at the title? Huge chance. I'd be very surprised if they aren't one of the favourites. I'd be very shocked if they don't get to the final. Number one ranked world. in Europe, isn't that right? And, I, yeah, and yet yeah, they're not they the bookies' favourites in, in yeah. any of the, the bookies I've looked at. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, like I, I would be shocked if they don't get to the final because they, are, they have such a good squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, this is their chance. You know, the Netherlands are slightly below par. Germany are slightly below par. Um, Denmark have slightly below par at the minute so there are a lot of teams that are just slightly off the pace Sweden at the minute I think are flying and this is their chance to go and lift the trophy I mean you look at some of their players I mean Jennifer Falk um, I watched uh, for BK Hecken recently brilliant made lots of good saves saved her team when they were slightly off the pace um, and having a bad day so she's a very reliable player Jonna Anderson great at getting up the pitch at, uh, on the left side as well can play at left wing back as well so she's a, a, a really dangerous player at getting up and putting balls into the box. Obviously, um, Magda Eriksson, really good uh, leader. Um, she's not the Sweden captain because Caroline Seeger is, but she's still a leader at the back and, and she's shown that she can organise defences. So she's going to be really key uh, as well. Um, I mean, you, you could go down the entire list and just pick out every single player. Um, Hannah Benison, really talented young player, really excited about seeing how she develops um, at Everton this season. I think you know, to have 22 caps at the age of 19 shows that she is really highly rated. So she's a, a player that could feature in some way for Sweden. Um, Lena Hertig at Juventus, talented striker, always capable of scoring goals. Same with Sophia Jakobsen. She's a bit more mobile as an attacker. She moves around a bit more than just being a, an out-and-out striker. She's When she's um, played with Alex Morgan at uh, San Diego Wave this season, she's tended to be the slightly more mobile one who moves around, whereas Morgan is the out-and-out striker. So expect Jakobsen to perhaps play off the, the lead striker a little bit uh, and create opportunities. Stina Blackstenius, I mean, you know, 
you, you look at Black Stennis, I mean, she was fantastic at the Olympics and just led the line so well, scored goals, was outstanding. What I think is really good about her is that she needs players who can play off her like Jakobsen, Jakobsen can, and certainly at Arsenal. Um, when when she's played with Miedemar, Miedemar sort of dropped off a little bit, Black Stennis has played further forward. So she's very capable of leading the line either on her own or with support. And I think that's really key. She brings options as well. So um, so I'd expect her to have a big, big say. And I think Fridolina Rolfer as, as well at Barcelona. She's been absolutely brilliant at Barcelona. She can play left back, left wing. She can also play through the middle as well. So she again brings options. So um, you look at that squad and you think that there's so many talented players in there. Um, and we've, we haven't even mentioned half of them. But like I said, any player there could have an impact. And that's what's so good about Sweden. So, yeah, absolutely. They are one of the favourites and they should be. And I'd be very surprised if they don't get to the final. So do you think for Sweden and the Netherlands, it's pretty easy sailing through the groups then? Um, I wouldn't say it's it's fairly easy for them. I think they will, but I think that Switzerland and Portugal could both cause them mm. a problem. And particularly the Netherlands, I think they're probably more likely to have the problem. Sweden, I think, will top the group. Netherlands potentially might find it a little bit more tricky. But yeah, they're likely to top the group, those two, but I don't think it'll be easy. Well, speaking of Switzerland, their manager, Niels Nielsen, he was the, as we spoke about earlier, the manager of um, Austria when they reached, or sorry, Denmark when they reached the final in 2017. Salim, talk to us about Switzerland, their tactical set of what do you, what do you expect to see from them? How are they going to kind of combat the Netherlands and Sweden being much better sides in terms of quality? Yeah, I think Switzerland might look like a weak team to many of us, but they're not that... They're, even though they lost 7-0 against Germany lately, but they are able to cause some trouble to Netherlands and Sweden. They were able to beat Italy in the World Cup qualifiers uh, last year, and they have some strong weapons in attack, like Anna Cernogorsevic and Ramona Bachmann, known that their captain and main central midfielder is Arsenal's Lea Walti. They do, in their attacking performances, they do rely on crosses and on their abilities in the air, mainly, but also on Sernigorsevich's individual skills. The team can disturb Sweden and Netherlands and also Portugal, but they are unlikely to advance to the quarterfinals, as both Sweden and Netherlands are much powerful than Switzerland. The team will most prob probably not be able to cope with the great attacking threats of these two teams, since their defensive abilities and organization are not outstand outstanding, I think. But yeah, they can try their chances and disturb these two teams. I'm actually quite jealous of Salim could say Cernogorsevich for such ease. Just a, a fun fact for those listening, it took me 10 minutes to learn that name <laughs> this morning. Genuinely, it was so difficult. I couldn't get it at all. Incredible. Yeah, he said it was such a Yeah, I'm very, very jealous. Um, Nielsen actually spoke recently about that kind of, he, he used triangle of, of Serna Gorsovic, Welty and, and, um, and Backman being really important for Austria. Do you think they're going to be the three most important players for them? Yeah, I think they're, they're, the three of them are the most danger, dangerous players of the team. They play at some big teams and they have the abilities needed to threaten defences. So, yeah. The last team in Group C is Portugal. Now, Portugal are in the group because they of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
Um, Russia were banned from the competition, obviously, which gave Portugal leeway to come into the tournament. David, talk to us about Francisco Neto's side and do you think, how how can they play to stifle teams like the Netherlands and like Sweden in order to maybe nick a point or two here and there? Well, I mean, the obvious thing to think about is sitting back, but I'm not sure that's going to work because the Dutch have got some really good players who can hurt you, um, as England found out uh, on Friday night. Um, and obviously Sweden, ridiculous in attack, so many good options. So again, they can hurt you. So I'm not sure sitting back is actually going to be the best option. I think it's going to be a case for them of get on the front foot and try and put the pressure on their opponents. The difficult thing for them, I think, is they're coming into this tournament with uh, less preparation than other teams because they obviously found out later that they would be, actually be competing. So they haven't had as much time to prepare the squad and work out combinations and, and organise friendlies and all that sort of thing that you normally do. Um, so that's what, for me, will perhaps let them down, which is obviously completely out of their control. But I think that will perhaps give them a slight disadvantage. But that's not to say that they won't cause problems because they have got some good players. And I mean, the goalkeeper, Ines Pereira, Plays for Servette in Switzerland. She featured against uh, Chelsea and um, uh, Wolfsburg in the um, in the, the Champions League group stages. And actually, she put in a couple of good performances, made some good saves. She's a, a she's a relatively strong keeper, twenty three years old, so still fairly young. But she's a relatively strong keeper that actually they can rely on if necessary. But it's more like to be Patricia Marias, who's like the star plays for Sporting. Um, so because she's uh, thirty years old, so she's more like to start and give them that slightly more experience foundation I think you know in, in defense I think they're more likely to, to go with just a strong formation uh, a strong line even um, I don't think they're going to they're going to take too many risks I think they'll know that you know they're going to come up against some top teams and they, they can't afford to try things out if you see what I mean they've just got to go with what they know and what they know works so I think they'll go with, with experience and players that they know work together um, as a combination so I think that's that's what they'll do um, in in defence, I think midfield they've got some really talented players. I mean, I've watched Tatiana Pinto at uh, Sporting, and I thought she was really really impressive um, in the Champions League. Uh, no, not Champions. No, I thought she watched for Portugal. She played really well for Portugal. I can't remember who they were playing, but she sort of took the game by by the scruff of the neck and, and had that sort of creative edge. So I think she's a really key player for them in terms of their progression of the ball and everything like that. So I think she's going to be really key for them. Um, Claudia Neto as well, I think it's going to be really important. She's the captain. She's the experienced head in the midfield, 131 caps, 34 years old. So she's going to be the experienced player in the midfield that they'll turn to when they need someone to just, you know, just if they're slightly struggling, gather around, rethink on the pitch and then go again. She'll be that sort of player, I think. Um, Anna Capetta as well at Sporting as well. She's got 12 caps at 24 years old. So she's not necessarily going to feature too much, but I think she's a slightly underrated player who has the ability to provide a spark when needed. Um, and up front, I mean, Diana Silva, for me, I think is going to be their key player. I mean, she signed for Villa when they got promoted to the WSL back in 2020. Didn't really have too much of an impact, but I did an analysis of her at the time. And she, she's capable of playing through the middle or on the wing. So she provides flexibility across the front three, if that's what they're playing with, which I think is what they will play with. Um, so she can she scores goals. She's certainly gone back to uh, to her um, I think she plays at Sporting now. She's gone back there. She she's proven that she can score goals. She just had a slightly dodgy spell at Villa when she didn't really make too many appearances. Mm. But she's shown actually she is a goal scorer at heart. 
and I think she's likely to be their main striker. Um, but she can play wide as well if necessary. Carolina Mendes as well at Sporting as well. She's going to be a really key player for them. Um, she's the experienced striker um, as well. So it's, it's more than likely she'll lead the line and Silver might play off or Silver might play through the middle and Mendes might be the backup on the bench. So again, there are options there, but I think they'll, they won't try too many things out. They'll go with what they know. And uh, But yeah, like I said, Portugal, I think, capable of causing problems. But will that lack of preparation come back to bite them? And see what I mean? And great minds think alike because in the magazine, our Portuguese hero at TFA, Scott Martin, he also picked Diana Silva as his key performer for uh, Francisco Neto's side. Moving on to Group D, Salim, you're our Italian football expert. Talk to me about um, Bertolini's tactics and who, how you think Italy are going to play, how they do play their key players for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Italy's goal in this tournament will be to reach the quarterfinals and then see what happens eventually. Their team is not as good as France, but they have what is needed to beat Belgium and Iceland. In goal, they have Lara Giuliani, who is a reliable goalkeeper, and the defensive line is solid enough with players like Sara Gama and Elena Dinari. At the same time, Valentina Bergamaschi can create the difference on, e- on either wing, since she is used to playing both on the right or on the left wing with almost the same efficiency, as she also retreats to defend regularly. Um, Italy tend to play according to the 4-3-3 formation with three center midfielders required to defend and participate a lot in the playmaking. I have done an analysis before on Manuela Giuliano, who is an extremely important player in midfield in this regard, especially in, in terms of playmaking, since, since she has great vision and excellent passing skills, while Galli and Caruso are more physical players. players. Up front, the team will more likely rely on Cernoia, Cristiana Girelli, and Barbara Bonanze, both of uh, the three of them of uh, Juventus. Bonanza will be, uh, I think, the most dynamic player in this team, with Girelli being the striker, the finisher. And if Italy use their resources very well, I think they have the chance to advance to the quarterfinals and create other surprises, maybe. But yes, uh, alongside France, they will be they will be the two teams that will advance to the group stage. Well. Myself, I did the analysis for Italy for the magazine, and I was really impressed by them. I loved watching Bonanza and Cernoia and Girelli. I think that was just that trio, that Juventus trio, was phenomenal to watch. And as you said, Giuliani, Giuliani in midfield. Um, really exciting. I'm looking forward to watching Italy more in, in the Euros. But they will face, obviously, a very difficult French team. David, talk to me about France then. Yeah, uh, France are one of the teams that people fancy to be up there, but actually, chances are they won't be for a variety of reasons. Um, they've, they've got a really good squad, undoubtedly, but it's the internal factions that we've heard about in the last day also between players and managers and coaches and whatever. There's something not right in that squad, and, and it, you wonder whether that's going to affect them. I mean, Corinne Diaka, as we know, she's not necessarily the most popular uh, manager of the French team. She has been known to leave key players out when some have been demanding that they're in the squad. So she's not afraid to make big big decisions and leave big players out. 
which has riled fans, supporters, writers, whoever. And you know that that can lead to players um, not getting on with her, which means that they won't necessarily follow her tactics. So whatever it is that that's happened, there's something not right in that squad, and and you know you wonder whether that might just come back to to hurt them. And I I fear that it might because yes they've got a really good squad, but like I said. If you're not all on the same page, it's really difficult, particularly if you've only got three games to make your impact in the group stage. It's not like the Champions League where you've got six games so you can afford to lose one, come back and win. You you can't. You've got to do one in all three. I wonder if that's going to affect them now. But looking at their squad, I mean, they've got some really good players. Pauline Perry-Manion uh, at Juventus, she's had a really, really good season for Juve since she's gone and, and rejoined Joe Montemuro at, at Juve. She's been really, really good there, solid in, in the back of the net. I mean, at the back, you, ha- you have to mention Wendy Renard, the captain, the leader. She's a threat at both ends of the pitch. She's not only the leader at the back, but she's also their biggest target at set pieces because of her height. She's constantly scoring headed goals from corners and things like that. So she's going to be really, really key at both ends for them. Um, Sakina Koshawi and Selma Basha at, at, at left back, I think both basically bring the same sort of thing. They're both attacking left-backs. They're both capable of scoring goals and assisting and everything like that. I mean, Karshawi, we've seen get up the pitch, combine and cut inside. Basha is undoubtedly probably going to be their first choice. Um, but she is undoubtedly a talented player. She can also play in the left wing as well. So you've got options there as well. Um, Eve Perise has just joined Chelsea. She can play right-back, left-back. She can also play as a part of a back three if necessary. So she, again, brings options. But she's another really, really talented player. I think will will thrive as as will Grish Mbok Bati at Lyon. Been a, a solid player for Lyon, really been a big part of their rise to uh, become European champions again. So defensively, very very good. They like to play with a four three three. So that generally means that they have a player sitting back slightly in their midfields. Generally, it might be Sandy Toletti uh, at Levante. She's likely to be that player, which then allows you two outside players, Grace Gioro, more than likely, uh, and Kenza Dali. Um, to, get, to then get forward, Darley's much more of an attacking player. Gayoro is a bit more of a box-to-box player for PSG. She tends to be a quite underrated player, in my opinion, um, because she does a lot of the unseen stuff, like feeding balls through into the front three, which at PSG tends to be Diani, Baltimore, uh, and Katoto, um, all of whom will be key players for, for France in this tournament. But I think also Delphine Cascarino as well at Lyon has been superb for Lyon. Uh, this season, so she's going to be really important. And generally, it's been Cascarino, Cototo, and, and Baltimore that's been there. That France's first choice front three, but you know, Gayora for me is is the one that glues the whole team together. Um, not only for club but also for country as well. So, um, as a squad, really good, really strong. You just wonder whether those internal factions will just come back to hurt them. They should make it through. They should make it through. Salim. Belgium are probably, I mean, they're the only team in the tournament that are expected to play with a 4-4-2 diamond. Do you think Belgium have any sort of chance of getting out of the group? I mean, it's, it is it is quite a tough group. Obviously, Iceland finished second in the She Believes Cup, I think, was it last year, next to the USA. And then you've Italy and France who are expected to go through. So do you do you give Belgium any hope at all? Uh, not really. I think they, they will try their chances against Italy and France. They can score goals, they can get a point or two, or but I don't think they will be able, they don't have enough to beat uh, France or Italy, but they can beat uh, Iceland, I think. Even though they have some good players like Tessa Willard, 
Dekani and a lot of other players who, who are promising. But I don't think they have the experience needed or the talent needed to, to, to go out of this group. David, talk to me briefly about uh, Tessa Willard because I was reading in the magazine, actually, Alfie Pearson wrote the, the piece for the TFA magazine. Apparently, she averaged a goal involved in every 30 seconds for Belgium, but it was 15 goals and 10 assists. That's, that's an outrageous output for, for, for a centre-forward. It is, and, and that's the sort of player that she is. I mean, she is the type of player that can just take control of a game and just give them a spark when needed. Um, I mean, I watched her against... Oh, who were they playing? I can't remember. They were playing earlier uh, last week. They played two games last week, so I can't remember. Um, and she, honestly, she scored twice. She assisted another. She was absolutely unplayable at times. She caused so many problems in that final third. I think what's really good about her is she can play through the middle as a central striker or as one of the wide players as well. Um, I think she's a really, really underrated player given what she actually gives the team. And I think she will be a force to be reckoned with. I, I do agree to some extent with Celine in that France and Italy should make it through. However, I, I wonder if, because France have got those issues like I, that I talked about, I wonder if that will give Belgium some hope. And I, I think actually when you put De Cani and Woolert on the pitch, they can actually cause a lot of problems. I mean, De Cani is, is a really good player. She can drop back slightly. She can play as a front two if necessary. Um, I did an analysis on her. She's a really, really good player that I really like watching. I wonder if Belgium will make it through only because of the way that France, the internal factions, I, France and Italy should make it through. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. But it's whether they will or not, we'll have to see. But it's, there's, there's certainly questions there and certainly possibilities. Well, to wrap up the groups, the I last... Think, uh, oh, sorry, go on, Sonny. I think the problems surrounding the French team uh, will, will, cause pro will cause issues inside the team on the long run. I think the problems will happen on the long run and not in the group stage. I mean, they have what it takes to to reach the quarterfinals, but then I think these problems will will come back to haunt them. Do Iceland have a chance at all to get out of the group? Because um, Thorstein Halderson's side, they have a bit of a mixed team in terms of their age profile. They have a nice blend of youth um, and experience and players just kind of hitting their peak. But they also have Sarah Apologies if I butchered this. Sarah Bjork, Gunnar's dot here. I think I said that correct. From Leon. Talk, yeah. to, me, talk to me about her. Yeah, she's she's a really good player. I, I you know, she's she's a sort of player that you, you just want in the team. She just joined Juventus and you just get the feeling actually she'll give Juventus just a little bit more quality around the pitch. Not that they needed it because they've been brilliant this season, but she's just a sort of player that you just think I'd love to have her in the team. Um, because of her experience, because of the fact that she's a winner, because of the fact that, you know, she knows how to lift titles. Um, you, you know, she's a type of player that can just give you what you perhaps didn't realise you were missing. Um, yeah, she's a really interesting player. Yeah, she hasn't obviously featured that much at, at Lyon because she's she's just given birth. Um, so she's obviously been out of the game for a bit, but she's fought back. She's playing, you know, she, she's fighting, uh, you know, to get back fit and everything. And I think actually she could be uh, Iceland's playmaker and the sort of player they rally around. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't think Iceland really. I mean, they're a fantastic team. There's no doubt about that, and they are very capable of winning games. Given the other teams in in their group, it might be tricky for them. But I think they and Belgium will probably be competing for third if France and Italy make through. Um, 
get, get through. Um, anything could happen. This is an interesting group, actually, because realistically, most of the teams there have got a chance, and most have got a chance of falling flat. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. So to wrap up the podcast, then, guys, I want to ask you two questions each. Okay, I'm going to give you a minute each to talk about who. I'll start with you, Salim first. Who do you think is going to be the star player of the tournament? The star player, I think, Rolfo. If Sweden reaches the final, I think Rolfo will be the main star of the tournament. She has everything. She plays on a, on a lot of positions. She plays as left back, as wing back, as a winger. She uses both feet in shooting from distance. She she is she has vision. She has intelligence, and therefore I think she she has what it takes to be one of the best in the tournament. Brilliant. And David, you go. Well, uh, for me, it's going to be one of the English players because it's their home tournament. Because everyone's expecting them to shine, it's going to be a lot of attention on them. Lauren Hemp's the obvious one to go for, but I think actually Beth Mead could come out of this tournament with a lot of um, uh, a lot of um, you know her her reputation could grow hugely. She's just come off the back of a really good season with Arsenal. She's in great form for England at the minute. She speaks Dutch as well, which always helps because apparently her teammates have been ribbing her because she almost gets one up on them because she can speak Dutch to Serena Weekman and <laughs> and you know so there's that sort of internal banter if you like. Um, but, but the actually, teachers pay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I think the way that she came on against the Netherlands when they needed someone to, to add a spark, and she did that. She scored twice. She she offered what they hadn't had in that first half. And that, for me, showed that actually when it comes to it, I think, yes, she struggled against Belgium a little bit in, the, in the, their first format game. But for me, watching her against the Netherlands, she's the type of player that they need in, in tight games. So I think she's a, she's a dark horse to be potential top scorer at this tournament. Um, because of, of the way she gets into the right area, scores goals, gets on the end of crosses. She's a fantastic attacker as well. Um, and just generally, I genuinely think she could be a player to watch in this tournament. I like it. I like it. And Salim, I'll throw back to you. Now, I want your favourite to win the tournament. Who do you think is going to lift the trophy when it's all said and done? I think I'll go with Sweden because... I, I think they must build on their latest Olympics great performances and aim at winning the trophy because they have a fantastic squad depth and they proved several times that they have some of the best players on each position. From a defensive perspective, the team is well, is well organized and they have a mixture of experience and chemistry with players like, like David mentioned, Magdalena Eriksson, Anderson, Elistad, Hannah Glass. They are among the best in Europe. In midfield, they have Caroline Seeger and Philippa Angeldahl, two excellent center midfielders with plenty of experience, talent, vision, intelligence. And as well in attack, they have plenty of options. Aslani Rolfo, Lina Hurtig, and a lot more. I think they have what it takes to, to make it. Only if England have another say. <laughs> <laughs> And David, you're going. You can't say Sweden. No, I, I think it'll be the team that I think more most likely to feature against Sweden in the final, which I think will be England. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm English, obviously. <laughs> um, no, I, I do because, like I said, the way that they took the Netherlands apart in the second half, 
for me, I think, showed that they have got what it takes. If they can sort out those defensive issues that we've mentioned, then that's the only thing really holding them back from being completely top class. They've got the manager who knows what it takes to win this tournament. Um, and the fact that she's the defending uh, champion in terms of the manager as well really does help a lot because she, she's got, she knows what tactics are needed to win the tournament. They've got an, a fantastic array of attacking talent. And they, the fact that their bench is, is so loaded with you know, players who can just come on and make an impact. Um, Ella Toon, Beth Mead, Chloe Kelly when needed as well. Um, Alessia Russo, I could go on and on, but the fact that they've got so many good attacking players that if they're having a slow game like they did in the first half against Netherlands, just change it up and suddenly you win 5-1. That for me shows that they have got what it takes to win this tournament. Um, defensively, I know we've said the issues, but I think they've still got some great players. Millie Bright is one of the best at, at coming out and, and playing out from the back with the ball. Um, and she, you know, she can she can run up to the halfway line if necessary and then play a long ball into, into the final third, into the goal area if necessary. She's brilliant at that. Alex Green was just had a really, really strong season with Manchester City, arguably being their best player. Um, obviously, uh, Lauren Hemp aside. Um, but she's been really, really key for them. Um, since her transition from left back to centre back, she's been really important as well. Um, Rachel Daly, I think, yes, she's a forward for Houston Dash. Um, but at left back, I think she was brilliant. And I think that's where she'll start. Uh, Lucy Bronze, really good attacking player as well. So across the back line, you've got players that there that, that can cause problems. And if they can just organise themselves just a little bit more mm-hmm. just in, in some situations, uh, have a bit more confidence, they'll be fine. Mary Earps, great goalkeeper. Ellie Roebuck as a backup, great goalkeeper. Um, for me, across the squad, you've got so many good players there. And I say you've got the manager just to top it off and just bring it all together. So for me, I'm going to go with England. I like it. I like it. And I'm very looking forward to the tournament. I want to thank David and Celine both for coming on the podcast today. Guys, as I said at the start, the magazine for Top Football Analysis would not have been possible without you both. I know you're looking forward to yours, as am I. Thank you both for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you're you, welcome. Adam. The TFA magazine is available on the website. You can buy it for £1.99. I advise you strongly to get it. It's half a, a, a cappuccino half a cappuccino to become a women's football expert like David and Salim. But that's all from me for now. You can find us on Twitter at Total Analysis and you can find myself on Twitter at ASCULI24. Thank you very much for listening and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Total Football Analysis podcast. Goodbye for now.